going to do that to you. We're, uh, we're going to do a brief summary of the, the chapters, actually. If you're a guest, I'm not very good at jokes, and I don't claim to be very good at jokes. And as you can see, uh, like I tell the brethren here, if I do, if you do come again and I start in on a joke and it's not that funny, just bless his heart. You know, just get, go ahead and throw that one out and, and then that'll be okay. Genesis chapter 43 and 44 is where we'll be at tonight. The title of this lesson is Joseph, God's Mercy Transforms. And in order for me to get to that topic, in order for us to get into that thought, I'm going to have to set this story up. It really does no justice to just talk about it really quick and then go into the point. You have to know the story of Joseph to appreciate what's happening. You remember the last time we talked about Joseph was Genesis chapter 42. And a brief summary, we left off with Joseph telling the brothers to prove they were honest. You remember uh, Genesis chapter 42, verse 34. It says, and bring your youngest brother to me so I shall know that you are not spies and that you are honest men. And I will grant your brother to you and you may trade in the land. So he tells them that if you guys are honest men, as you've said, if you are not spies and you're really who you say you are, then bring your youngest brother to me from the land of Canaan. And then I'll let Simon, who I'm going to put in prison until that time, free and you'll be able to trade within the land. So what do the brothers do? They go back and they tell Jacob, their father, and he says they have bereaved him. Look at verse 36. And Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin? All these things are against me. What an attitude and what a thought and what a sorrowful feeling that Jacob, Israel, has uh, in this time. And we leave off in verse 38 with uh, Jacob saying, but he said, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Quick rundown, Joseph, 12 brothers. His brothers uh, lead him into slavery because they don't want to fool with him anymore, because he's annoying, because he gets on their nerves, because he had these dreams that one day they would actually bow down before him. So they send him uh, by caravan to Egypt and he becomes a servant at Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife, uh, he was a very well, good looking man and, and Potiphar's wife wanted him. And because she wanted him, Joseph didn't want her because he knew that it was against what God had said to do, that it wasn't right, that he had put, Potiphar had put him in charge of all the things of his house. And to do that would just be wrong. And Potiphar's wife goes against him and lies and says that he did some things that he didn't. And because of that, he was locked up, put in prison. 
He has a dream, two dreams about a cupbearer and a baker, and he tells these dreams and he interprets them for them. And when the cupbearer gets out of prison, because that was the dream that was interpreted to him, he told this cupbearer to remember him, but he didn't. Until finally, one time, Pharaoh has this dream, and this dream is about these cows and about this wheat and how these the skinny cows ate the big cows and this big famine was coming and all of these things. And nobody could interpret this dream except Joseph. And the cupbearer does remember, and he brings him down to Joseph, and Joseph comes out, and because he can interpret this dream, he's made second in command only to the Pharaoh. What a blessing. We've talked through all of these lessons. And now what we see is this famine is underway. And we see that these brothers have come down to Egypt to get some food. And we leave off in verse in chapter 42 by Joseph knowing who those brothers were. And he's setting up this situation. Verse 40, uh, in chapter 43, verse 1, it says, Now the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt that their father said to them, Go back and buy us a little food. It opens up with them having no food, and the only way that they can go back to Egypt is if they bring the younger brother, Benjamin. Judah and his father, they have this discussion about it. And, and look at verses 8 and 10. It says, Then Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, and we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. For my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. Judah says, if I don't bring him back, let me bear the blame and I'll take the blame forever. So they go back to Egypt with double the money. First to return the money that came back with them the last time. If you remember, Joseph filled their bags with the money that they had paid for the grain. Also a trap or a test, right? <clears throat> so they come back first to return this money. They're going to be honest men now. And they came back uh, to do that first. And then they came back to buy some actual grain from Canaan. Just follow me in this story and I promise you'll get a blessing. Verses 11 through 15. Look at what the Bible says. It says, and their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh and pistachio nuts and almonds Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it, was, perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise, go back to the man, and may God Almighty give you mercy before the man, that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So the men 
took that present and Benjamin and they took double money in their hand and arose and went down to Egypt and they stood before Joseph. They go down there. Verses 18 through 24, uh, they get to Egypt and they're taken to Joseph's house and they talk to this servant. Look, look at what it says in verse 19. It says, when they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door and the house and said, oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. But it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it back in our hand and we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. And I love what this steward says in verse 23. He says, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simon out to them. They get to Egypt and they talk to this steward of Joseph and they tell him why they're back. They tell him what's happening. They show him that Benjamin's here and Simon comes out. But the steward says that their God and the God of their father gave them treasure and that he had their money. And the man brings them into the house of Joseph and gives them water and washes their feet and gives their donkeys feed. And look at verse 25. Then they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they would eat bread there. Now, put yourself in the story for just a minute. Here they are, finally at Joseph's house, right? They're already confused a little bit because they're afraid of what's happening and why they're actually going to the house of Joseph. But here they are and they have this present and they're getting it prepared because they know that the president's coming. Could you imagine the president being at the White House and the president's actually going to come in there and sit down with you? Could you imagine the anxiety? Could you imagine the, 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 the feelings that you would have, right? And here they were preparing this present because they knew that they were about to eat bread with them. This worry of what was going to happen to them and this worry also, or maybe this excitement of what may be said to them. There, there's a lot of things happening, right? Look at verse 26. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed down before him to the earth. It's funny how when God says something, it comes true, don't it? When God says something, when he makes something known that is truth, it's going to happen, isn't it? Isn't his promises true? Has there ever been one promise that God has made that has never happened? Isn't that why we put our faith in the Almighty, isn't that why we trust Him? Isn't that why we obey Him? Here they were, bowed down before Him to the earth. Then, verse 27, He asked them about their well-being and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke? 
Is he still alive? And think about what's happening. There's two stories that's really unfolding before us. It's the brother's situation and then it's Joseph's situation, right? Joseph's got some stuff that he's dealing with too, isn't he? Here are the brothers who threw him into slavery. How excited would you be to see your brothers who did that to you? Would you be able to hold back and not make a comment? I don't know if I could. Man, you know what? I remember you trying to hold me down. I remember when you was holding me down. And guess what? I'm the man. And I can do whatever I want to you. Here's Joseph holding back these emotions. And he asks about his father. He says, is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is, is he still alive? And they answered, your servant, our father, is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves again. Verse 29, and, and I want us to think about this, and we'll talk about it a little bit later. Here's Joseph. He lifts his eyes. And saw his brother Benjamin. His mother's son. He said, is this your, your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? Could you imagine? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. And look at verse 30, his heart yearned. It yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. He moved out of the way. He couldn't be in front of the, the emotions had gotten to him. You know, I was at the nursing home today and as I was walking out and I was talking with Brother Eddie and I saw somebody. I saw somebody that I hadn't seen in a long time. And he turned and he looked at me. And Brother Eddie said, hey, I'll holler at you later. And he looked at me and he got up. Crying. And came and hugged me. He said, now I would kiss you, but I don't kiss guys. I said, well, I appreciate that. He said, man, I hadn't seen you in a long time. I could tell his heart yearned when he saw me. And mine too. Put yourself in the story for a minute, can you? Here's Joseph who sees his brother, his mom's son. He goes into his chamber and he wept there. Verse 31, and then he washed his face and came out and he restrained himself and he said, serve the bread, let's eat. Let's eat. So they set him uh, a place by himself and, and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves. Now think about what this says, just a little something, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for that is an abomination. It's an abomination for an Egyptian to eat with a Hebrew. But verse 33 says, 
and they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. So here's Joseph and he sets them up according to their age. And the men look astonished at one another. And then he took servings to them from before him. But Benjamin's servings was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. Now, could you picture that? Everybody gets served. And what does Benjamin get? He gets five times more. (laughs) I remember when I played football, I went in 170, right? I said, man, you too skinny, dog. So here's what we're going to do. Every time you eat, and we got a spy watching you, and you don't know it, but you have to eat two plates every time you go into the cafeteria. I feel Benjamin on that, right? I did not want to eat two plates full of potatoes and macaroni, and it was nowadays I could probably eat two plates, right? Now, the times have changed, Trip. They're telling me back off the plates, right? One plate is enough. Then he took servants to them from before him. But Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. They had a good time. Was Joseph testing them to see if their actions would be like they were towards him? Was Joseph testing them to see if they were going to get jealous? You remember Joseph had that coat and he had many colors, didn't he? You remember, and and Israel was the one who gave it to him. The father gave it to him. Now, was Joseph trying to test these brothers to see if they would say anything about how Benjamin was served? I don't know. But we move on to Genesis chapter 44. And look at what Joseph does. He commands, verse 1, he commanded the steward of his house saying, fill the men's sack with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his grain money. So they did according to the word that Joseph had spoke. And then it said, as soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. Then they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off. Joseph said to his steward, get up, follow the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and with which He indeed practices divination. You have done evil in so doing. Now think about that. Joseph instructs the servant to put all this stuff in there and especially this cup that goes into Benjamin's sack. And then when they leave and they head out, then they're going to come and chase them down and they're going to accuse them of taking this silver cup. A lot of stuff happening, wouldn't you say? Joseph has got a lot of things that are going on against these brothers. So look at verse 6. It says, he overtook them and he spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, why does my Lord say these words? 
Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. What's happening? We're trying to be honest. You remember these brothers said that? You remember? They said that they were honest. And Joseph is calling them on this thought. Follow my, my train of thought in this. Because that's where the blessing comes from. He says, look, we brought back to you, verse 8, from the land of Canaan, the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from the Lord's house? With whomever your servants it is found, let him die. And we also will be my Lord's slave. That sounds like a Peter comment, isn't it? That's a Peter statement, isn't it? Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll always protect you. There'll never be a time where I'm going to let you get captured. And what happened to Peter? <laughs> he told that lady, quit talking about it around me. I don't want anybody to know that, that I was with him. Verse 9. He says, with Whomever your servants it is found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's slaves. Verses 10 through 17, Joseph, he sets this test up to see where the hearts of the brothers are. Verses 10, it says, and he said, now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground and each opened his sack. Now, these brothers think that they're good. These brothers think there's nothing wrong in my sack, right? So they let it down. So he searched and he began with the oldest and left off with the youngest and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And look at what happens, brethren. They tore their clothes and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house and he was still there. And look at what they do. And they fell before him on the ground. Why didn't they act like that with Joseph? Imagine if you were Joseph and these brothers fall down at your feet because of Benjamin, would there be a little bit of jealousy in you? You're going to do it for him and you, you wouldn't do it for me? And Joseph said to them, what deed is this you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? Then Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves. And I want you to remember that statement. He says, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. What shall we speak or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants and here we are. Here we are. But in verse 18, 
Judah steps up and says he'll take Benjamin's place because if he doesn't come back to his father, his father will surely die of sorrow and grief. But I want you to notice verse 30 in chapter 44. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, this is Judah speaking, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant and our father with sorrow to the grave for your servant became surety for the lad to my father saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up to his brothers for how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. Judah steps up and he tells him, let me take his place. But as chapter 45 begins, Joseph, who's held out so well, Joseph, who's held on so tight, could not restrain himself. And I want you to think about this. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. Everybody left, and it was him and his brothers. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known. Boy, I'd like to have been there at that moment. How about you? When he made himself known. He made himself known to his brothers. In verse 2 it says, And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. And we're going to stop right here on the story. And we'll finish Joseph's story out next week. But I want us to think about a couple things. I want us to consider a couple things from this story. As we think about the unfolding of this story and all the, the turns and all the ups and all the downs and all of those things that are happening, there's some gems in, this, in these two chapters that I'd like to pick up and talk about for just a few minutes. And then the lesson will be yours. 
When we last talked about Joseph, we talked about what happens as we continue to keep sin bottled up, right? You remember in Genesis chapter 42, we talked about this concept of the brothers and this sin that they had been hiding for so long. We talked about if we don't deal with our sins, it'll affect our relationships, right? And we talked about when we face people that have sinned against us, we must show God's grace, right? And then we talked about the guilt of our sin. It's not just going to go away with time. If you've done something that you're not supposed to do and you're still hanging on to it, oh, it's got you. Here it comes back every once in a while, right? It only goes away when we confess it and when we repent and when we deal with it. Amen? So this week, think about this. And I want you to think about what I say. God in his mercy towards us causes us to face our guilt so we will turn to him and change. Now let me say it again. God and his mercy toward us causes us to face our guilt so we will turn to him and change. It is the mercy of God in our lives that gives us this guilty conscience toward sin. Amen? You ever felt bad about the things that you've done? Does it just keep eating at you? It keeps eating at you? Well, why would you say that the mercy of God is what's doing it? Listen to what uh, Judah says in Genesis 44, 16. You remember I told you to remember it? Look at what he says. He says, how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of, our, of your servants. How can we clear ourselves? How come this keeps piling up? How come this stuff keeps coming on me, right? <laughs> Have you confessed it yet, Judah? Have you told somebody the truth? No, you ain't. So it's going to keep lingering. It's going to keep growing. They basically say the same thing in Genesis 42. Look back with me just real quick. Genesis 42, verse 21. And they did so. And then they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. Talking about Joseph. For we saw the anguish of his soul when we pleaded, when he pleaded with us and we would not hear. Therefore, look at what it says. This distress has come upon us. God in his mercy was pricking their hearts. We know what mercy is, don't we, brethren? We talk about it all the time. We talk about mercy as the, the act of withholding deserved punishment, while grace is the act of giving unmerited favor, right? In his mercy, God does not. Now hear this one. Now, now if you don't hear anything else, if, if you don't hear Joseph and you don't hear none of that, uh, hear this one. In God's mercy towards us, he doesn't give us the punishment that we deserve, how about that one? We all deserve death, brethren. Because we're wicked. 
When we do things we're not supposed to do, I'll raise my hand and say I'm the first one. But in his mercy, God doesn't give us the punishment we deserve while grace is the act of this unmerited favor. It's this gift that we don't deserve. God in his mercy is trying to get us and in this story, get them to look at their sin and deal with it. Oh, this is great. If you let this work inside of you, it'll change you. See, it's not karma, right? So the Hindus want you to believe. See, it's not karma. See, it's not some shift in the balance of the universe, right? It's God's purpose that our sins confront us. Why was the law made? You remember why the law was made? It was to make the sin abound. It was so you would know what to not do. Why do we do it? Why could we care less about Jesus? Why could we care less about what he did on the cross for us? But what do we do? What do we do? What have these brothers done all these years? They tried to quiet their conscience. I remember some terrible things that I did as a teenager. And you know what I used to do? I used to hide it from my parents. I used to hide it from my parents. I used to hide it and hide it and hide it until I couldn't bear it anymore. Or I got caught. <laughs> it's usually what would happen. Before I would admit it, I'd get caught. But you know what? The, the thing still changed. Once I let it loose, once I let it off of my chest, there was a change. It was a relief. Y'all know what I'm talking about? We must not quiet our conscience, but we should continue to train it in the will of the Lord. I want to feel guilty when I'm not doing the right thing. Amen? And the right thing is not doing what God says. This is why God's mercy is bestowed upon us. So that we can turn back to God and change. Over 20 years have passed since the brothers sold Joseph into slavery. But that nagging sin was still troubling them. And you hear it in Judah's comment. How can we clear ourselves of this? What's happening? Why is it hanging around me? How come it keeps bothering me? How come it keeps coming up? I don't push that down. See, because of the mercy of God given to us, we have the opportunity to change that guilt into repentance. Think about this as we close. Don't look at guilt as a bad thing. Look at it as a gift. A gift to do the right thing. God's mercy transforms us. Look at how not only is God pricking the brothers' hearts, 
for their guilty sin, but he's pricking Joseph's heart as well. His harsh behavior, his aggressive nature against his brothers. Joseph has to continually keep gathering himself to continue this harsh treatment, doesn't he? He steps out, he steps up, he does this, he moves away. These emotions are getting to him. Joseph's heart is being transformed. We also see Judah's heart transformed. Judah is the one who not only will stand up for Benjamin, but when he was put to the test on what he told his father he would do, he did it. And if you want to read about Judah, read Genesis chapter 38. It's terrible stuff. But Judah now is emerging as a leader of these brothers. And God does the same for us. He pricks our hearts through his word and the words and actions of others. You may be saying, I'm not quite following what you say in that. I'm not quite putting it together. I'm not quite getting the connection that you're trying to say. Well, let me let Paul do it for you. He's way better at it than me. And you want to know why he's way better at it than me? Because he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. How about that? Look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save, save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, because I'm a chief sinner, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Mercy has come to Paul so that Jesus might display his perfect patience as a pattern for us all. See, you remember Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The basis for life transformation comes from the mercy of God. <laughs> Jesus has stepped in on behalf of our condemned lives and took the punishment of our sins away from us through his death on the cross. The mercy of God must overwhelm us, brethren. Our hearts are to be transformed by his mercy. When we should be called into account for our actions, when we should be called into account for our actions, you want to know what happened? Jesus raised his hand. I'll do it. I'll do it. He raised his hand and gave us life so that we would not be enslaved by sin. Now that'll preach. That'll motivate. So what will we do with the guilt of our sins? What will we do with our conscience as it cries out? Will we silence it? 
Will we ignore it? Or will we allow that grief inside of us that is constantly there lead us to change our lives so that Christ can shine in us? What you gonna do, brethren? Maybe you're here and you are struggling with sin. I'm sorry I went over. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling today in your life. Maybe you're here today and you are holding some sin back, not letting it go. Let it go. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian and you've got a lot of sin on you. Now's the time to get it all gone. You want to know the beauty of Jesus? When he raised his hand, he died and he was buried and he resurrected and he became the propitiation. He became the satisfying sacrifice for all humanity. And because of that, his blood washes away sin like no other. You ask, it's gone. You ask, it's gone. <laughs> that's, pretty that's pretty powerful stuff, boy. And it can happen at any time, but the only way you get that blessing is to be inside Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself, you have put on Christ. Maybe you're here today and you need to be baptized. Why don't you put on Christ today while we stand and sing?